I'm Taylor. And welcome to Square Mile of Murder. As you can tell, Taylor is back with us in the land of the living. Yay! Yay! Woohoo! Finally! Welcome back. Thank you. I just, I had a really bad cold for a really long time. <laughs> yes. The, the, the rest was needed. I literally lost my voice and then, like, couldn't speak for extended periods of time without coughing. So, mm. you know, it, that's not really what you want to listen to on a podcast, usually. I mean, if that's your kink, fine. Fine, but, like... But we ain't here to provide that, I'm afraid. <laughs> no, like, I didn't have the energy to do that for you, so... <laughs> so sorry. But, uh... No, I'm actually, like, obviously not glad that we couldn't record new new material, but I am glad that some of our older episodes that, like, hadn't really seen the light of day got to, you know, get put out there. Yeah. Because. And they're two really good ones as well, I think. Yeah. D- I The Dr. Crippen one is one of my f- favorite episodes because it's just <laughs> so fucking dumb. The lights just flickered. Oh, fun. Oh, yeah. We're both in Scotland and Northern England. We've got like severe, well, not quite severe, but serious storm warnings. Yes. So, so yeah, um, hopefully <laughs> we'll make it to the end. Yeah. My garden uh, storage trunk has already blown up tonight from the wind. <laughs> so we're, uh, mm. we're doing good. Uh, anyway, I'm back. I didn't die. We didn't have to make an episode about my mysterious death from common cold. And yeah, my voice is still a little bit rough. I might start coughing at one point. We'll edit it out if I do. But uh, I'm here. I might uh, might be breathing a little bit <laughs> heavier than normal. <laughs> For which I apologize. But it's okay. I will start. I will warn people. <laughs> We're doing what we can, you know? Yeah. You have the flaw. (coughs) (coughs) Like I said, I'm still recovering. Um, So, we have mentioned it many times before on this this very radio show that we do. It's highbrow. Highbrow entertainment. High class. No, we're none of those things. But yeah, no. So we've said here before, you've heard us, we've said it, uh, we really like spies and like espionage and stuff. And we never really, I I still don't know why, but we just never really like did any of those cases, (laughs) you know? Um, So yeah, this December, which is what it is, when you listen to this, not quite when we're recording it, um, we're gonna just do that. We are going to cover spies and espionage. So today we're starting with a story that was huge news in the UK about a decade ago and has recently been back in the news this year. Uh, and that is the mysterious death of Gareth Williams. Was this so... I vividly remember this case. But was this was this big news outside of the UK? I've never heard of it. Okay, so it's also known as the spy in the bag. No. The body in the bag. The spy who knew too much. Maybe that one. The spy who knew too much body in the bag. <laughs> yeah, because I, I, it was like proper tabloid fodder, which we'll talk about in a bit. But I like... Remember, it was everywhere for months. No, I don't... Like, I think I have heard it mentioned, but I don't think it was, like, on my radar at the time. So, when we think of spies, we tend to think of, like, James Bond and fast-paced, adrenaline-pumping action movies, far-off exotic locations, killing the baddies and saving the world at the very last moment. And whilst this does happen... The reality of working in the secret services is actually a lot more mundane than that. It involves a lot less travelling, government building breaking into, and a lot more office-based work. 
Yeah, most spies are paper pushers. Yeah. Yeah, and it was this almost mundane, primarily office-based work where Gareth Williams found himself in the summer of 2010. Now, before we get into this proper, I think we need to point out that we know we say this all the time, that, you know, sources vary on exact dates and locations and things like that. And um, so many things vary in this case that the story we've found and compiled could be completely different to the story told by like other podcasters or other YouTubers. And I know this to be true because I've listened to other podcasts and watch videos and YouTube videos and stuff as part of the research and thought, well, I have this source here that says a completely different thing to what you've just said. Yeah. And it doesn't necessarily mean that any of us are actually wrong. It just means that there's so many variations of this case because of the very nature of it. Spies and espionage, secret services, all the rest of it. That it's almost impossible to be totally sure which version is completely correct. Which makes sense. Gareth Wynne Williams was born in September 1978 and grew up in Anglesey, an island in northwest Wales. Uh, from a young age, he was fascinated with computers, and we think it's fair to say that he was quite a gifted child. Uh, he took his A-levels in math and computer sciences at age 13. Now, as normals, take our A-levels or equivalents at the age of 18 or 17 if you're a summer baby like I am. <laughs> so he, he jumped on that boat right early. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Five years early. That's, that's, yeah, that's, that's mm -hmm. a big deal. Um, Gareth studied mathematics at Bangor University. I uh, studied part-time while he was completing secondary school. <laughs> sure. You know. Yeah. We've all been there, right? Mm. Um, he graduated with a first-class degree at the age of 17. Uh, according to an article by The Guardian, he's, his teachers remember him as an exceptional pupil but his peers recall an isolated and lonely child with one former classmate going so far as to describe him as naive and the sort who could easily be taken advantage of too clever for school but also too young for university so at the age of 18 gareth began studying for a phd at manchester university Three years later, in 2000, a now 21-year-old Gareth Williams was approached by the British Security Services. Uh, Gareth had developed a reputation for his incredible online gaming abilities, and one of his former professors believed that this is what attracted the interests of Her Majesty's Intelligence Services. And Gareth was soon off to join GCHQ as a codebreaker. What does that stand for? Oh, you're going to say it. I'm going to I'm going to tell you. So, GCHQ stands for Government Communications Headquarters. It was formerly known as the Government Code and Cipher School, which was founded following the First World War. And during the Second World War, the service was based at Bletchley Park. Ah, uh, yes, I know what this is. Yeah, just outside of Milton Keynes. Mm. You can go to Bletchley Park, like there's a visitor center and and things. I want to go one day. Yeah. We're going to have to have like a European spy trip. <laughs> there you go. Uh, so Milton Keynes is about an hour outside of London. And so Bletchley Park and the Code and Cipher School were responsible for cracking the Nazi German Enigma codes. Uh, these days, GCHQ is based at a complex called the Donut because it looks like a giant ring donut, uh, which is located on the outskirts of Cheltenham. Cheltenham is in the west of England, fairly close to the English-Welsh border. Uh, according to the interwebs, the and when I say interwebs, I mean Googling mm. and not actually reading the results, just looking <laughs> like a preview for the answer. The NSA is like the nearest American equivalent to GCHQ. Interesting. Yeah, so they're more like intelligence gathering than intelligence like acting. Yeah. So after beginning his job at GCHQ, Gareth also began studying for a postgraduate qualification at Cambridge University. Why not? Because one PhD wasn't it's, enough. Yeah, no. Uh, but he dropped out when the demands of both working and studying became too much. 
So in the article from The Guardian, which Taylor mentioned before and is linked in the show notes, a former colleague speaking on the condition of anonymity because... Spies. Spies. (laughs) Yeah. He said that Gareth worked either on his own or as part of a small team who intercepted, monitored and analysed phone calls and emails from all over the world. Oh yeah, definitely NSA. (laughs) Yeah. Uh, So this colleague also noted that many of their other colleagues were as intelligent or even more so than Gareth. Um, So although he was like an exceptionally gifted child, big fish, small pond kind of situation. Yeah. And GCHQ is where Gareth spent the next almost 10 years. He did a spell at Menwith Hill in the early years of the War on Terror, along with counterparts from the NSA. This bit just amuses me, which is why I've included it. So many of the sources on this case describe Menwith Hill as a super top secret uh, military base. So I did some Googling uh, to make sure that it was the same Menwith Hill that I was familiar with. So Menwith Hill is a Royal Air Force RAF base in North Yorkshire. Now, I don't know if I've mentioned it before. I am also in North Yorkshire. (laughs) I don't think this comes up very often. Um, And Menwith Hill is about an hour away from my house, which is why I'm familiar with it. My life's not that interesting. And you can see it from miles away. Like, all over the local like national parks, uh, areas of natural beauty, all of that. You can see Menwith Hill for miles. It's just there. You can practically walk around it on Google Maps Street View. And I know because I tried it yesterday. Uh. <laughs> I was like, I'm going to see if it shows up. Oh, fuck. Um, and it's actually like, like it's a local focal point. Local, local focal. focal. <laughs> <laughs> because of the design of the radar buildings. And they are shaped like huge golf balls. And they're technically, technical, technically called ray, ray domes, which I didn't know this until yesterday when I was Googling Menwith Hill to make sure. I was like, this very secret place that nobody knows about is the place with all the fucking golf balls, yeah, right? Yeah. <laughs> um, so yeah, I just found that really amusing. Like, just the way it's talked about as being this super secret military base that nobody knows about. And I'm like, it is literally giant fucking golf balls. I'm pretty sure you can see them from space. Yeah, like, <laughs> people have seen this before. It's, it's out there. <laughs> literally. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And, it's, and all this is very public knowledge. Like, I'm not disclosing any like, <laughs> local hidden secrets. Like, these golf balls are massive. You can find them straight up on Google Maps. Go into Street View, you find them on Wikipedia. The queen is going to show up at your house and be like, you have exposed Britain's secrets. <laughs> well, I actually live quite close to an estate owned by the queen's cousin. So, you know, I can tell her to go and piss off and visit her cousin. I mean, well, there you go. We'll see how that works out for you. Look, tune in next week, everyone. <laughs> <laughs> see, see if I was killed by a weaponized corgi. Oh, my God. That's definitely a thing. Like, there's no chance that all those, although it's a Korg, Korghand now, right? It's a Corgi Dachshund cross, her new one. Oh, I don't know. Yeah, the the uh, the purebred Corgis all died because they got old. Because the woman is like a hundred fucking years old, so her dogs there's a high turnover rate. <laughs> mm. Um, but yeah, there's no way all those dogs have been around the Queen of fucking England for all these years, and they haven't been super like sniffer like watchdog trained even if they are little loaves of bread right you know when how we chat a bit before we start recording and this week we sat having a drink before we started recording maybe a bad idea yeah no i disagree anyway so (laughs) (laughs) weaponized corgis now there's a t-shirt i want (laughs) okay mental note mate (laughs) Uh, right so back to the matter at hand um so as well as spending time working at men with hill gareth also spent time working at fort mead which is the nsa headquarters in baltimore 
In the early 2000s, much of Gareth's known work centered around terrorist activity in Iraq, Afghanistan, Pakistan, and other parts of the Middle East and Russian-backed sleeper cells in the UK. So, you know, light stuff. <laughs> yeah, yeah just, a, just a light bit of international espionage there. It's fine. Um, so one of the most well-known incidents that Gareth was involved in was preventing the 2006 transatlantic aircraft plot, also known as the liquid bomb plot. As in, the reason you have to pour out your water bottle before you get on the plane. <laughs> mm. um, so, for those who don't remember, or I hope no one wasn't alive yet and is listening to this. This was a terrorist plot to detonate liquid explosives disguised as soft drinks on seven transatlantic flights originating at Heathrow Airport in London. Five uh, were headed for U.S. destinations and two for Canada. 24 suspects were arrested in August 2006 and eight were later tried in court. Between 2003 and 2010, he also worked on tracking a sleeper cell who are described as being backed by Moscow. Presumably that means the Kremlin. Um, but it could also have been the uh, Russian mafia. Oh, sure. You know. Mm-hmm. Might as well they, uh, invite them to the party. They crop up a lot. <laughs> They've got their fingers in every pie. Mm. Every borscht. Borscht. <laughs> every conspiracy theory to do with this case, I think the Russian mafia pop up. Oh, God. <laughs> um, so in the summer of June 2010... 10 people were arrested in the U.S. and accused of being involved in espionage. Uh, during his time at GCHQ, Gareth's life reportedly revolved around work, and he had little in the way of a social life apart from the occasional after-work drinks with colleagues. His family have challenged these depictions of him, though, claiming that he was close to them and that he was a keen competitive cyclist along with his father. In 2009, Gareth Williams was seconded to the Secret Intelligence Service, more commonly referred to as MI6, uh, and he moved from Cheltenham to London. So, MI6 is a foreign intelligence service directly accountable to the Foreign Secretary. By comparison, MI5 is a, de a domestic intelligence service accountable to the Home Secretary. Uh, MI6, I believe, is what you know, in, in the fictional world is is the agency James Bond yeah. is attached to, yeah. I believe. Um, so MI stands for Military Intelligence, and the Directorate of Military Intelligence was a department of the British War Office, and the numbers denote different sections. If you're wondering, like I was, how many sections there are, the answer is 17. <laughs> However, MI 1 to 4 and 7 to 19 have either been disbanded, absorbed into either MI5 or MI6, or had their duties transferred to other departments and agencies, leaving only MI5 and MI6 currently active. MI13 and MI18 were never, never actually used. Oh. For some reason, they skipped over <laughs> them. I mean, 13 I get, but 18 I'm like, why? Oh, yeah. Um, not that this has anything to do with the case, I just found it interesting. Because I've always wondered, it's like, but never enough to actually research it. Like, okay, what was M? Like, what happened to MI one to four? That that was and, just all the like failed intelligence agencies. Well, interestingly, MI one part of their original duties were eventually absorbed into the Code and Cipher School, which eventually became GCHQ. Oh, yeah. Also, that's interesting. So, just yeah. a name change. So yeah, the MI6 offices are in a district of London called Vauxhall, which is in southwestern central London. And Gareth Williams lived in a rented flat just across the river in Pimlico. Now, there are conflicting reports about who owned this flat, but many sources describe it as being a property rented by MI6, as opposed to, you know, privately rented by Gareth himself. And some describe this, like the entire apartment building as being like a safe house. Mm -hmm. His work focused on cyber threats to the UK. Uh, more specifically, 
the nation's vulnerability to Russian, Turkish, and Chinese cyber threats. So, like, all the big ones. <laughs> yeah. So, Gareth wasn't happy at MI6 and was reportedly struggling with the different way in which the Secret Service worked. And in the summer of 2010, he was making plans to leave London and return to GCHQ in September. He'd even managed to re-rent his old flat in Cheltenham. Uh, but he never made it back to the government's communication headquarters. And on August 23rd, 2010, Gareth Williams was found dead in his own home. So Williams hadn't been seen for a week. He hadn't attended work. Uh... And none of his family had been able to make contact with him. Despite this, and despite the fact that he worked for the, you know, actual secret service, nobody thought that a spy not turning up to work and being out of contact for a week was a little bit suspicious or maybe might be cause for minor concern. Sure! Obviously. Like, I think it was a five or ten minute walk yeah. from your office. Why did none of your colleagues think, okay, well, this guy hasn't turned up and it's really out of character? Yeah. Like... And, a, you know, a spy. And also, like, if it's someone who's been working on, like... Oh, yeah. Russian and Chinese and Turkish cyber security, like... Cyber... Threats include a whole lot of, like tracking and stalking and <laughs> like bad shit mm. that could happen all from his flat in london and so you might want to keep an eye on that and we're at this point only f well four years out from um alexander litvinenko's uh, assassination in london yeah he was murdered in london in 2006 yeah so, like, that was also massive news. Like, I remember that quite vividly as well. So, I just don't get how, like, nobody thought, like, the problem. him not turning up for about a week. Like, after a couple of days, you'd be like, okay, maybe we should do, like, a welfare check. Yeah, something. So, it wasn't until August 23rd when Gareth's family contacted MI6 to report their concerns that someone was like, Oh, maybe we should look into this. Maybe. Uh, but it was another five hours after that before the Secret Services contacted the police and requested a welfare check on Gareth uh, because nobody could get in touch with him still. Uh, and it was only then that somebody finally checked in on the 31-year-old spy. Uh, initially, the police weren't too concerned that anything was wrong when they entered Gareth's flat, except for the fact that the heating was cranked way up, despite it being the middle of summer, which, uh, contrary to popular belief, does get warm enough to warrant turning off the heating for a month or two every year. It's, it's not all uh, gloomy and rain. rain. <laughs> <laughs> there, are, there are some summer days. <laughs> Um, but when officers entered the bathroom, they found a large red North Face bag, usually described as a duffel bag or like a hold-all kind of sized bag. It was in the bathtub and it had been padlocked. And inside was Gareth Williams' naked body. Now, if you think that Gareth was about to be treated as a victim who had died locked in a hold all with the heating cranked right up to speed up decomposition you'd be wrong oh boy so now retired uh, detective chief inspector colin sutton who has worked on a number of high profile murder cases including the levi belfield case i think that's probably his most famous case he wrote a book about mm. it when I've read about him and read his book and seen interviews and stuff, I'm like, he seems like a very nice man. <laughs> Actually, and very dedicated uh. to his work. So he was the most senior officer to attend the scene that day. 
And he told BuzzFeed News, so they did a series of articles on Russia and spying, which is uh, the Gareth uh, Williams one is linked below, but there's four other ones, mm -hmm. I think, about just just Russia and the secret services and things. Very interesting. So there's a link. If if this is the thing you're interested in, go and go and read them. They're, they're quite interesting. But he told BuzzFeed News that he immediately suspected foul play and believed that the flat had been cleaned up to destroy evidence. There were no fingerprints found in Gareth's flat other than his own. A foreign hair was found, but at that time a DNA profile could not be extracted from it. It was far too small. And at that time you needed you still needed a root, like a hair root. Yeah. The padlock key was found inside the bag, underneath Gareth's body, and the heat, obviously, had sped up decomposition. And it actually sped it up to such a degree that it was impossible for pathologists to determine if certain poisons, like the kind that your body uh, metabolizes super quickly, mm -hmm. it was impossible to determine if any of these had been administered. Uh, DCI Sutton also believed that the scene had been staged. Gareth's electronics had been laid out neatly on a table in the living room, and everything was wiped down to remove DNA and fingerprints. Uh, Sutton said, It was pretty bloody obvious. Uh, it was too clean, it was too easy, it was all there on a plate for us. Now, despite all this, which, you know, kind of has the makings of a spy novel come to life, and therefore perfect tabloid fodder, it was Gareth's private life that was about to go on trial in the court of public opinion. And I think this is why it sticks in people's heads oh, so much. Yeah. It was eventually determined that Gareth had died in the early hours of August 16th, 2010, meaning that he had died on the first day that he had failed to show up to work. Uh, as the investigation began, then uh, Foreign Secretary William Haig signed a public interest immunity certificate in the interests of national security and the sensitivity slash <laughs> secretivity. Is that a word? I don't think it I is. I don't think so. But also, but also, Google Docs didn't tell me it wasn't. True. So it must be. Secretivity. It's a word now. We've said it. We've used it in a sentence. Hey, Shakespeare made up a shit ton of words. Yeah, and we use them all the time. When he didn't, ha when he couldn't think of the right word, and is considered one of the greatest writers of the English language ever. Yeah, so you know what we're saying is we're Shakespeare. <laughs> That's not what I was going to say. I was going to say so we can make up a word like secretivity. Hey, if it gets your point across and people know what you mean, that's all that matters. Mm -hmm. Um yeah so it, 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 in 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 the in the vein of keeping things quiet um he signed this immunity certificate uh for both Gareth's work in the UK and the USA Now public interest immunity is explained by Wikipedia as quote a principle of English common law under which the English courts can grant a court order allowing one litigant to refrain from disclosing evidence to the other litigants where disclosure would be damaging to the public interest. That means you can lie under oath or lie by omission. Yeah, that's cool. Hey, um... So this meant that the details were few and far between in the early months of the investigation. So when the police released certain details of the case in late autumn 2010, the press, as you might expect, pounced on it and went absolutely wild. Uh, Gareth's death was considered suspicious and unexplained, quote unquote. Um, and the pathologist had previously said there are no signs of a struggle, no injuries to Gareth's body, and no um, alcohol or common recreational drugs in his body. But in December, the public learned that Gareth had visited bondage websites. He had been seen at drag shows and gay bars. Uh, more than 20,000 pounds worth of high-end women's clothing had been found in his flat. 
along with makeup, feminine wigs, and uh, a, quote, armory of bondage paraphernalia. <laughs> uh, video footage had also been discovered of him posing in just a pair of leather boots. Like, I vividly remember <laughs> this. As this is literally 11 years ago this month. Oh, yeah. But yeah, I remember it happening. I remember I remember him dying and it being in the news. And I remember it was kind of very kind of trickly, like the news coverage. It was a bit here and a bit there. And then this. Yeah. Like everyone went crazy for Everywhere this. all at once kind of thing. Yeah, because the the big question was always like, okay, so he was padlocked inside. It was like, like a, you know, like a padlock on a suitcase mm-hmm. zip, like the little loopy things on a suitcase zip where you put the padlocks yeah. on. That's the kind of padlock it yeah. was. So you shouldn't be able to do that yourself. No. It was literally just like tabloid fodder. That's, it was for, for months, if I remember correctly. Yeah. Um. Now... Because Gareth was such a private person and those around him knew so little about him outside of work, it was so easy for, you know, the the gutter press to create an image of Gareth as a sexual deviant and push the idea that his death was nothing more than a sex game gone wrong. Um, Gareth's landlady from Cheltenham, whom he had rented an annex flat in her property, uh, for 10 years and that's the same flat that he was preparing to return to when he left mi6 Uh, she later spoke of an incident three years before gareth's death when she and her husband heard him shouting for help when they entered the flat they found him with his hands tied to his bedposts and gareth had told them he was just doing it to see if he could get free uh but the landlady and her husband believed it was a sexual fetish instead. So, escapology is the practice of escaping from restraints or traps, including handcuffs, cages, straitjackets, coffins, boxes, trunks, even tanks slowly filling with water, or even a tank quickly filling with cement. And Harry Houdini is probably the most famous escapologist in like popular culture i would say yeah um and it is something that many people do as a hobby and even as a job you know especially in like years gone by of like traveling circuses freak shows Mm. all that kind of stuff i mean that's part of what houdini did he was also a magician as well as an escapologist but he traveled with like these kind of shows it's a performance piece kind of thing yeah. And there's also uh, an escapology community on YouTube. Of course there is. It's YouTube. There's every kind of community on yeah. there. But even now, it's still like yeah. a thing that's very common that just people do. Nothing necessarily sexual about it. I have not looked at this community on YouTube because that that's my that's what breaks me. I'm not claustrophobic, but if I'm trapped... <laughs> I will actually like panic myself to death rather before I like starve or anything <laughs> like that. I'm I can be in the tiniest of spaces as long as I know I can get out. <laughs> yeah, that's fair, I guess. However, there is also a sexual fetish to do with escapology, wherein participants gain some kind of sexual gratification from being confined in tight spaces and trying to escape. This is known as claustrophilia. Oh, I see what they did there. Mm-hmm. And I think it also can come under, like, the umbrella term of bondage. Mm-hmm. My internet search history is pretty dicey uh-huh. now. Trying to figure it out because I could not find the proper name for it for ages. Oh, God. Eventually, I managed to find claustrophilia. <laughs> so I think it can come under the term of bondage if... It involves being, like, restrained uh-huh. in a confined space and not just, like, locked up in a confined space. But it's more about small spaces rather than being restrained. So Gareth's family denied these claims and went so far as to describe it as a, quote, concentrated smear campaign. 
Senior detectives also denied many of the claims, saying that they were um, exaggerated or straight-up fabricated. They also believed that his sexual orientation was not central to the investigation, but the release of personal details was necessary to try and figure out who the other person was who they believed to be in Gareth's flat when he died. I mean, obviously, last time I checked, the entry test for being gay wasn't padlocking yourself inside a holdall. I didn't have to do that, so... No. You mean, what, you mean you didn't have to do that the morning of your wedding? No. Because wow. I, I would still be in the fucking duffel bag. Like, I'm not that talented. <laughs> it just smacks of being like, look over yeah, yeah. there. It's a, it's a distraction tactic for sure. Yeah. And another thing that I don't think is talked about much is the fact that by like repeating this narrative, we, you know, societal, royal we, we continue this like homophobia and transphobia that's still endemic in British society. Mm-hmm. And like, like crimes against the LGBTQ community have like skyrocketed in this country in the last couple of years. And despite that, they're very much brushed away in the same way that they were in the 70s and 80s when Dennis Nielsen's victims were, were being ignored. It was kind of like, ew, gay sex things. Let's just ignore it and it'll go away. Well, no, because a bunch of people were murdered yeah. when you did yeah. that. And... That's kind of it's kind of very similar kind of attitude. Like, oh, it was like it was it was you know, gay sex games gone wrong. Yeah, it's like just put it in this corner and pretend it doesn't yeah, exist. Well, it's like it's just so scandalous that like a, it shouldn't concern the the proper members of society except for something to mm. gawk at, and b yeah. like it doesn't matter if the truth actually never comes out because you know look mm. at this crazy thing. Oh my god. Yeah. But when we talk about bondage in terms of like sexual deviancy and we keep it like on the fringes out of like public view, you know, it's very underground, private sex clubs, something in a dungeon, mm. you know, like you say, the proper people in society. They would never. Yeah. Instead of like learning what bondage is actually about and that it's all based on like mutual consent and boundaries and, you know, that which I think more of us, especially our generation, are becoming more and more informed. Mm-hmm. But as like if we keep pushing it back to the edges, to like the fringes, it allows this whole like sex game gone wrong narrative and like this the rough sex defense to continue mm-hmm. because people don't realize like it like it's a mutual consent thing. It's not about beating the shit out of someone for your gain and not theirs. Yeah. Like it's not it's not There's, an abuse of power. That's yeah. So in late 2010, police released a composite image of two people of quote Mediterranean origin, thought to be in their early 20s, who were seen in the communal entrance hall of Gareth's building earlier in the summer. Around this time, it came to light that Gareth had taken classes in fashion design at St. Martin's in Uh, the year before his death, and that the women's shoes and clothing found in his flat could have been related to his studies, although uh, some of it also were for his sister and a friend. Mm. So the investigation rumbled on for almost two years. During that time, the gutter press alternated between, you know, gay sex fiend died in gay sex game gone wrong and celebrated British spy dies under mysterious circumstances. I love it. They want it both ways. They they did and it went back and forth at like breakneck speed. You're getting whiplash. Maybe like week to week Mm -hmm. it changed. Uh, In the spring of 2012, the coroner's inquest finally took place and a lot was learned. But few questions were actually answered. Shocking. So DNA samples that had been found at the scene turned out to have belonged to one of the forensic officers, which meant that the scene had become contaminated before it could be processed. It was also established that the you know Mediterranean couple seen in the building in the months before Gareth's death had nothing to do with him, his death, or the inquiry. Uh, two confined spaces experts 
and gave evidence about whether or not Gareth would have been able to padlock himself inside the bag and claimed that it would have been virtually impossible to do so. The pair had attempted to lock themselves in the same style of bag 400 times. <laughs> they made 400 attempts to fold themselves up inside this bag and padlock themselves inside it. Neither of them managed it. Uh, but since the inquest... I think it was actually the summer of 2012. Uh, videos began to surface on YouTube showing that it is indeed possible to lock yourself inside one of these, you know, the North Face holdalls. Um, the same as what Gareth was found in. Pathologists also concluded that it would have taken only two or three minutes for Gareth to have been overcome by the elevated carbon dioxide levels inside the bag. That would be an issue. Yeah. Uh, evidence was also given that no fingerprints were found on the padlock and there were no gloves in the bag. So if Gareth had indeed locked himself inside the bag, he should have, you know, left fingerprints on the lock. Uh, suspicious? Yeah, just a bit. Uh, it was also at the inquest where Gareth's former landlady gave evidence about having to free him after he had tied himself to his bed in 2007. So, as we said before, Gareth was preparing to return to GCHQ in September 2010, and during the inquest it was reported that Gareth disliked the, quote, rat race, flash car competitions, and post-work drinking culture at MI6. Um, and that as a uh, competitive cyclist, he also wanted to return to the countryside. Uh, and although Cheltenham is a city, it is on the edge of the Cotswolds, and it is surrounded by countryside. So that desire does make sense. Yeah. Um, legal representation for Gareth's family maintained that there had to be somebody else in the flat at the time of his death, but there were no signs of forced entry or any foreign DNA or prints found to back this up. The coroner, Fiona Wilcox, recorded a narrative verdict that Gareth's death was, quote, unnatural and likely to have been criminally mediated. And she was, quote, satisfied. <laughs> satisfied. <laughs> and she was, quote, satisfied that on the balance of probabilities that Gareth was killed unlawfully. Uh, however, there wasn't enough evidence to record a verdict of unlawful killing. Uh, she did conclude that somebody else placed the bag in the bathtub and locked Gareth in the bag and rejected claims that Gareth's death was caused by suicide. Uh, an interest in bondage or cross-dressing or some kind of autoerotic activity. Uh, Fiona Wilcox also had plenty to say about the investigation and the roles of both the police and MI6. She condemned the Secret Service for not reporting Gareth missing earlier, causing not just anguish for the family, but also a loss of forensic evidence. Um, uh, it's been speculated that Gareth could have been poisoned with a fast-acting, difficult-to-trace poison, and had he been found earlier, this poison might have been able to be identified before decomposition began. Following the inquest, um, following the inquest, Gareth Williams' death was reinvestigated by the Met Police. This second investigation lasted a year, so the coroner had been critical of the Met for not taking seriously the possibility that the Secret Services could have been involved in some way. Not necessarily MI5 or MI6, but you know, a foreign Secret Service or secret agents as well, especially given the nature of his job. And he may have been an office worker, but he was still a spy looking into cyber threats. But the Met hadn't taken, then taken uh, statements from his colleagues, from other agents or anything like that. They'd kind of been let off scot-free. Mm. And whilst a lot will be hushed up in the interest of national security and public interest immunity and everything... Still got to take some kind of active role in investigating and taking statements yeah. from these people. Yeah. 
After a year, there were still no conclusive answers about Gareth's death, and that the most likely scenario was that he died alone in his flat after accidentally locking himself inside the holdall, according to the Met. Mm-hmm. His death was ruled an accident, and it's also worth noting that Gareth's death has never been considered a homicide. Is interesting. Mm. Uh, the case then went cold for a couple of years until a Russian defector came forward with some pretty explosive claims. Uh, in the autumn of 2015, former KGB agent Boris Karpichkov, uh, who had defected to the UK many years earlier, came forward with claims that Gareth Williams had been assassinated by Russian agents when he refused to become a double agent for the SVR, which is the modern incarnation of the KGB. If we understand it correctly, which there's always a possibility that we don't, but this is what we're going with. Especially that given the na- given the country we're dealing with. Given here. the country we're dealing with, given the industry we're dealing with here, <laughs> you know. Things get hazy. Um, But yeah, if we understand it correctly, the SVR is kind of like MI6 in that it is the Foreign Intelligence Service in Russia. And the FSB is the Domestic Intelligence Service, more akin to MI5. And both are described as successors to the Soviet Union's KGB. Uh, Karpichkov claimed that there was already a Russian mole embedded in GCHQ, not MI6, uh, and that Gareth had discovered the identity of the spy. Therefore, the SVR had no option but to either recruit Gareth or kill him. Karpichkov said that the Russian spy had tried to use Gareth's alleged, quote, cross-dressing to blackmail him into becoming a double agent. Uh, When this didn't work... They decided to kill him. Because that's the obvious logical next step. Yeah. Uh, and they decided to kill him using what Kapichkov described as an untraceable poison pushed into the ear using a needleless syringe. When, I, when someone says needleless syringe, I just think of like, you know, like f- solutions of like baby food for, or baby formula. Like, when they syringe them into, like, kids' mouths when they won't eat. Yeah, or, like, I... I th- or, like, w- like medicines and things like that in them. I think, I literally think of the... <laughs> we have this thing for the dog that's called, like... It's basically Pepto-Bismol for dogs. It's called Tummy Tamer. So, whenever he's got oh. some soupy poops, we give him a couple syringefuls of this bright pink liquid. <laughs> like, that's what <laughs> I think of when you say needleless syringe. Yeah, I would never have thought of untraceable <laughs> poison. poison for the ear. <laughs> oh yeah, for the ear. I don't like things like going into my ear. So that like like liquidy things. So that we all we all have our things in this episode, you know? You got your confinement, I got I got my wet ears. <laughs> you got your ears. <laughs> Nobody's happy. Hmm. some have since said that this type of poison could have possibly been identified had gareth's body been discovered within a day or two of his death but decomposition sped up by the heating in his flat meant that the poison had passed through it could no longer be identified by the time his body was recovered interestingly kapichkov lived in pimlico at the same time as gareth And according to an article in The Independent, he claimed to have seen Russian diplomatic cars in the area around the time of Gareth's death, but hadn't seen them since. So this is in 2015 that he's making these claims. So five years after it happened. Mm. Interesting. Uh, Although at the time, he believed they were monitoring him (laughs) and not British Secret Service employees. But nothing conclusive ever came from these claims, and the case went cold again. Although it has spawned many conspiracies, especially, like as I mentioned before, Gareth died just four years after former KGB agent Alexander Litvinenko was poisoned in a London hotel. So there are many conspiracy theories about this case. 
Uh, earlier, we mentioned that a single hair had been found in Gareth, Gareth's flat, but a DNA profile couldn't be developed from it because the technology at the time wasn't that advanced. Uh, in early 2021, you know, this year right here, right now, leading forensic scientist Angela Gallup, who was one of the main scientists who helped develop DNA profiles in the Stephen Lawrence case, which we covered last year, uh, announced that technological developments meant that a profile could now be extracted from just two millimeters of hair. She also said she would be happy to help the Met with Gareth's case. Initially, the Met weren't interested in reopening the case. Uh, you know, an inquest and investigation had been done, and it was only after one of the Sunday papers announced that the new technology could potentially help solve the mystery of Gareth's death that the Met decided to review the case. It's convenient when things are, you know, spurred on by the media, isn't it? Yeah. I mean, this is this is about the only time in this entire case that the media got like it right. helped anything. Yeah, yeah. Um, so in February of this year, 2021, the Met announced that new information had come to light and that Gareth's case would be reviewed. So far, no new developments have been made, uh, or at least none have been released to the public. And according to a BBC News article, the leading detective of the inquiry still suspects that Gareth. Gareth's death was related to his private life and not his professional life. Yeah, I can't remember who that was, but that wasn't Colin Sutton who said that he was on the side of there was something very wrong yeah, going on. Yeah. Um, and that is the story, or at least one of the versions of the story of Gareth Williams, the spy who knew too much. Thoughts? <laughs> Or do you need a moment? Yeah. <laughs> so, while we gather our thoughts, um, so, a few years ago, there was a drama, well, I say a few years ago, I think it was 2015, 2016, that kind of time. There was a drama on BBC called London Spy. It was later on Netflix in the UK. Currently cannot find it online anywhere, apart from, like, pay per episode. Um... And as I was doing the research, because I vividly remember the media coverage of this case, but I don't vividly remember all the details. Yeah. And as I was doing sort of the research for this, I started thinking, this sounds very much like that show, London Spy, that I watched <laughs> on Netflix a few years ago. And that uh, show was actually loosely based on uh, the Gareth Williams case. Well, there you go. So it makes sense. Definitely recommend that wherever you can find yeah. it. But yeah. Have you gathered up your thoughts? Like, it's definitely foreign spies. A hundred percent. Like, <laughs> because the scene was wiped, it was obliterated. Yeah. Like, there's no questions. Yeah. Like, there had, there should have been fingerprints, there should have been DNA, there should have been mm. literally everything, and there was nothing. And, like, we like computer shit just laid out all in a row yeah. and no it's fucking and now to be fair when when i first heard the bit about like so the scene was cleaned and mi6 waited five hours between knowing about it knowing that he was maybe in trouble to reporting it to the police, my first thought was, well, MI6 cleaned it up. Um, oh, yeah. So so I don't know. Like, some sort of intelligence agents cleaned up the scene. See, but bear with me. So you could have a foreign agency responsible, mm. whatever nation that mm. is. We're not naming names. So you could have had a foreign agency who actually assassinated him. But, so, for whatever reason, MI6 haven't taken seriously the fact that he just disappeared for a yeah. week. And, like, the first day he didn't show up for work, he was meant to be chairing meetings, not, like, attending meetings. He was meant to yeah, lead these like, meetings. Someone should have noticed. <laughs> yeah. So, for over a week, so, for over a week, somebody's not turned up for work. 
that's suspicious in itself, but also, like, in the Secret Service, that should be, like, very, very loud piercing alarm bells going off, in my opinion. I know nothing about the intelligence service. (laughs) But then there's this five-hour delay. So they, like, the Secret Service can get in wherever they want. They could have got in, cleaned that scene because they don't want any kind of diplomatic shitstorm. Yeah. So it's entirely feasible that two separate nations' intelligence services were involved separately. Oh, yeah. 100%. The, the Secret Service knew who they wanted, knew that they wanted it to look like a sex game gone yeah. wrong. So they made it look like that because they didn't want any blowback on the Secret Service. They didn't want to create any kind of political um, or diplomatic problems with foreign countries. Mm-hmm. So, yeah. Yeah. I think it's completely feasible that those five hours were used to wipe the fuck out of that apartment. Yeah. I think also, you know, the the story that has come out is that his coworkers just didn't notice that he was gone or like just didn't mm. weren't worried about him for a week. But also yeah. like of course they would say that. Like, (laughs) it seems pretty clear that, like, it could very well be that they knew maybe that he was gonna be meeting with some foreign agent, like, and they were monitoring it, and then, like, it went wrong, and they were just like, well, fuck. (laughs) And in that that five-hour time window is when they, like pulled it all together and got everyone's story straight. Yeah. Yeah, regardless of, of who actually killed him or what nation or intelligence agency was behind it, we know, we all know, in every country, that the Secret Service kills its own people if needed. Yeah. And if needed has a very broad <laughs> definition depending upon... The political climate. Yeah. And like, you know, as unfortunate as it is to think about, like, when you take one of these kinds of jobs, you're basically signing a contract that says, like, yeah, I've run the risk of dying in the line of service for my country, basically. Um, Yeah. Just, just the lesser spoken part about that is that it can be your country pulling well, the trigger. Exactly. It will always be dressed up, at the very least, if not covered up. And the Official Secrets Act or the interests of national security will always win. And for me, one of the big questions that comes out of this, I think, is much bigger than just, I say, just one person's death. It's, it's obviously a very tragic yeah. death. The, the big question for me is how much do the government actually get and the secret services get away with covering up? Of course, we will never know. Yeah, well, yeah. Um, And certainly, like, if that information ever does get revealed, it's going to be a long, long time from now. Yeah. I mean, how long does it usually take for those kind of documents to get declassified over 50 years at least yeah and also like setting aside all of that as well if it's being reinvestigated now you kind of have to start the clock over yeah that's true because like there's just they're just going to be digging into it again and again and like uh, Mm. that's going to add more secrecy more layers more everything so yeah well that was a very uh (laughs) grim (laughs) lovely note yeah lovely note to end on but but no i i I totally agree like i hadn't actually thought that like if it's being reinvestigated we're now back at year one for how long it can be kept secret or you know um 
be certified public interest immunity. Yeah, I mean, I assume that's probably how it would work not having you know an in to all of these (laughs) yeah processes but like yeah no it's just like it is quite clear that when you actually look at all the details of this case somebody killed this man and it was covered up yeah not only is that in that situation has someone got away with murder You've got them out, like, out on the street, mm-hmm. potentially a danger to the general public, depending on why they murdered him, because we don't know, because we don't know who yeah, did it. Yeah. It's, it just becomes so much bigger than what it actually is, and people, and we tend to forget that at the centre of it is someone who tragically lost their yes. life. Yeah. And whether he was poisoned, whether, like, or just stuffed into a bag and suffocated somebody took his life yeah. well and it and the, the like the frustrating part about that is that you know the government is hindering that investigation like yeah. one way or the other you know mm. they're saying hey not only are we gonna like put the brakes on this criminal investigation but it's a criminal investigation into the death of one of our own yeah which is fucked but also how it works yeah unfortunately Mm. yeah so on that very nihilistic note (laughs) we should end yeah, we should. You're already going to have enough fun trying to decide what to Holy cut crap, out. am I? <laughs> um, but yeah, so thank you all for listening. Um, do let us know what you think of the the episode, of the case. What are some other versions that you've heard? Like, what are some other theories that you've maybe heard? Because um, we'd love to hear about them. It is December, um, and we are running a sale on our merch right now up until Christmas Eve. So if you would like to get your hands on any Square Mile merch, um, you can go to squaremileofmurder.store and use the code SPYMIS20, that's spymas two zero. All one word. So SPYMIS20 for 20% off of everything in the store. Uh, And if there's anything in there that you've had your eye on maybe for a little while, you're interested in, um, do consider purchasing this month because next year uh, we're going to make some changes to the merch. And... uh, we're not exactly sure what all those changes will look like yet, but but the star is going away in January. Yeah, so like s- something will change, <laughs> and yeah. what the the current yeah. things we have on offer, either all of them will be gone or some of them will be gone. So get in there while the iron's hot. You know, when I wrote this bit and I said, "Oh, you can ad lib if it makes it better." When will you learn that my ablet ad libs? <laughs> Mad Libs, <laughs> don't make things better. <laughs> it only gets worse from here. It wasn't a challenge. <laughs> Everything is a challenge. Anyway, squaremileofmurder.store. The link is also in our show notes on our website. You know the deal. Um, and yeah, Spy Miss 20. I'm very proud of myself for coming That's up good. with that good. code. It's very topical. <laughs> Um, because we used crime this last year. Did. Uh, and hey, if you like the show, be sure to rate and review us on your podcast app, especially Apple Podcasts, because as you know, and as we always say, um, that helps. And uh, subscribe so you never miss a new episode of us two absolute lunatics speaking into your ears. Yeah. And if you would like to help us cover the costs of making the podcast, help us invest in the future of the show, 
help us make our spin-off show and short films yes, that we have start planned. our production company. You can join our Patreon page and you also get to hear two lunatics talking into your ears even more hey. often. <laughs> Tears start from just £1 per month. Every patron gets regular episodes one day early, a shout out on the show, priority case requests and a lifetime discount on merch. And that's just for £1 a month. For £2 a month, you also get an extra bonus episode, um, which is totally unscripted. Because believe it or not, this is scripted. And you get some exclusive stationery that you can't buy anywhere. And for £5 a month, you get a bonus full-length episode as well as all that. So check all that out at patreon.com forward slash square mile of murder. Links are in all the usual places. Yeah. And we will be back. Oh, newsletter comes out this week. There'll be a sign-up link in yep. the show notes. If you want to hear what we've been up yes. to this month. Uh, yeah, my my newsletter updates this month are mostly going to be like how many boxes of tissues I went through. <laughs> so, you know, <laughs> there's that. Um, yeah. So, yeah, sign up for that. And we'll see you all next week with a brand new episode on another spy story. All spies, all the time this month. We're making it happen. Hopefully you enjoy it. And yeah, come back. Thank you guys for listening to whatever the hell this was. Thanks, (laughs) guys. See you next week. Bye. Bye. Bye.